Well, good morning again. Good to be together. Good to celebrate a new year together. And uh, it's just such a privilege to be able to sing and hear the word. Excellent job this morning, John. That was a great encouragement to me. Uh, I just want to give a quick reminder here before we get going that there are still uh, Bible reading plans out in the lobby. If you have not yet made a plan for being in the Word this coming year, invite you to grab one of those booklets that are available or click that code and you'll be able to get access to a whole bunch of different Bible reading plans, one that fits your schedule and your time frame and ability and all those kinds of things. So better late than never. It's the seventh today, but you can catch up. And so make sure that you have a plan for the coming year to be in the Word of God. Uh, it's the way that we hear from Him. That's how He speaks to us. People say, I, wanna, I want God to speak to me. Open your Bible. That's where He talks. So go there and be refreshed in His Word in this coming year. Well, the preaching schedule may have seemed a little bouncy lately to you. It kind of has to me. Uh, as we've paused from our regular preaching schedule, we're going through the book of Matthew. We started in September. We'll be back to that next Sunday. But then we stop for Christmas and we preach some Advent things. And then historically, the first two weeks after Christmas, we cover spiritual disciplines. Things that we are called to grow together in as believers and how we can work at that together as a church. And then you add to that fact the fact that I was unexpectedly out of the pulpit the week before Christmas and things have just seemed a little loosey-goosey perhaps. But I do want to take this opportunity to thank Pastor Joey who's served us really well in the Word, both planned and unplanned. He got a text that week at 5.30 in the morning and uh, it's so good to have brothers who are faithful in handling the Word. So Joey, thank you for your service to us in the Word. So last week, uh, this was planned, but Joey preached on the spiritual discipline of prayer, and he gave special attention to the corporate emphasis, how we pray together in the life of the church, and this Sunday, I'm going to draw our attention to the spiritual discipline of fellowship, the spiritual discipline of fellowship. Now, maybe those two words don't fit together in your mind, uh, discipline and fellowship, but I hope that by the end of our time today, we understand how significant this really is. And I would also say that when we talk about spiritual disciplines, that word discipline does not mean punishment or consequence. Okay, we, we use this word in academia. If we say we're focusing on a certain discipline, it's an area of emphasis. It's something that we work towards. So don't hear spiritual discipline and assume that we're all in trouble. Okay, spiritual disciplines are those things which God has commanded us in his word, things that we work towards and desire to have greater faithfulness in. You tracking with me so far? So when we talk about spiritual disciplines, sometimes we talk in terms of prayer, Bible reading, giving, hospitality, things like that. And I'm making the argument today that fellowship, our time together as believers, is every bit as important as all of the rest of those disciplines, if we call them that. These are the things that we are to pursue as believers. And I'm going to make a case this morning that fellowship is not sort of an additional, optional kind of thing in the Christian life, but that it is actually foundational to the way that God has placed us together in the local churches, in his body. We're going to see not only what this means, but how it can really be a means of grace for us. 
as we spend time with one another. So we're going to look at a few different texts today as we define what fellowship is and how we put that into practice. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help this morning. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this time that we've had already this morning. What an encouragement to be reminded that we can come to you when our souls and our lives are heavy. We can also come when we have rejoicing and thanksgiving in our hearts. You are the great God of highest heaven. So glorify your name in us. And it's easy to sing that. But what does that actually mean? For you to be glorified in our lives, what is that? That's what we want to know today. There are many ways in which this can happen. But Father, this morning, as we look at the spiritual discipline of fellowship, I pray that all of this instruction, all the example, all the scripture would would move us as a church closer to you and that you would receive the glory for this. We sing the song, glorify your name in me, and we're saying this morning, God, do that by the way that we fellowship together and by the way that we serve one another. And so, Father, please come and by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us this morning to hear what your word is saying, to understand with greater clarity what you require of us and also to rest in the fact that you have given us your spirit, which enables us to follow in obedience to you. So God, come and do the work that we so desperately need. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to consider the spiritual discipline of fellowship in four sections. And I put this outline on the back of your bulletin this morning, so hopefully that's a helpful tool for you to follow along. And the first one here, if you look on the back, should be no surprise The first thing we need to do is define what we are talking about. What do I mean when I use the words Christian fellowship? How should we define that? Well, if we were to open a dictionary, get our good friend Webster, open that thing up, and we look at the definition of fellowship, let me read you what it says. A friendly association of people who share a common interest. A friendly association of people who share a common interest. That's about as bland as cornflakes and skim milk, isn't it? I mean, is that all we're talking about when we talk about fellowship? Well, it's an association of people who have common interest. No. There is way more significance than just having a few things in common. This is why I've used the word Christian in our discussion. That is the word that modifies our definition. This is not just, well, we have things in common or we can agree on a few things, so we call that fellowship. There is something much deeper. There is something underneath what I am talking about, and that word, Christian fellowship, is what modifies the definition. So yes, in a general or broad sense, we do have things in common. And we do have friendly association among us, but it is more than that. So let's not stop our definition at something so surface level. So here's here's the definition that I'm working with this morning. I want you to know this. Christian fellowship is an active, willing participation in the body of Christ. Christian fellowship is an active, willing participation. That's That's the main word, participation, in the body of Christ. Now notice that my word participation is qualified by the word active. 
This means that when we engage in fellowship inside the church, you're doing something, okay? This is not kind of sit at home in your living room and allow the fellowship to wash over you. That's not how this works. You gotta get out and do it. That's why I put the word active to kind of qualify this participation that we have here. Now let me give you two texts to help us understand that the word fellowship does indeed mean participation. In fact, I, I think that's a better translation. It's the same word. This shows up in the New Testament in terms of uh, sharing, participating, having fellowship. It's all the same Greek word that shows up. So let me give you two texts. You don't have to turn here if you want to, but in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, that's our word, that's fellowship, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now notice that when he's talking about the participation word, Okay, he's using that, that's our fellowship word, and he's using it also in terms of unity. So the definition stands, right? There is common interest. There are things that we are all kind of moving towards at the same time. But it's more than just the common association. Another text in Philippians chapter 3. Paul's talking about how he wants to be identified with Christ. So he's an ambassador he told the Corinthians, I'm an ambassador for Christ, Christ making his appeal through me. So he wants to be identified with his Lord. Well, how does that happen? Paul expresses his desire to be identified with Christ. This is Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul says that I may know him, that is Jesus, in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. That's our word, participation, fellowship that I may have fellowship with his suffering. Well, what does that mean? That they have something in common? Kind of, right? But it's more than that. And my whole point in telling you this is that we can see that the word fellowship in the way that we're defining it is so much more than having things in common. It is an active participation. Therefore, Paul says, if I'm going to know Christ, if I'm going to be identified with him, I have to fellowship, participate, share in his suffering. So you, you get in a handle on how this word is used here in the scriptures, right? It's the same word. This is how it's used in the scriptures. So not only to mean people that have things in common or who are friendly towards one another, the world can do that, but as Christians, we have a greater, deeper, more meaningful participation with one another when we fellowship together. And we're going to talk about how this works when we come to the end, but for now, there's our definition. Christian fellowship is an active, willing participation in the body of Christ. And I'm using body, church, corporate language because that's where we are. This is our, this is our context, right? You can take all the principles we're going to talk about today and employ them whenever you are together with believers. But for our purpose, we are here at Grace, and so I'm using corporate body of Christ language to apply this kind of idea. Now... <clears throat> What makes this all possible? What makes this kind of fellowship unique from other associations or partnerships? It is what is underneath of it, what is supporting, and this is the number two, the grounds of Christian fellowship. What is it that makes this possible? 
And we got to know this. This may be the most important part of this whole discussion to find out what is it that makes it so that you and I can work towards common goals, can love each other, live together, serve each other, and not devour one another. What is it? Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. This is all the way towards the end of the Bible. If you get Revelation, back up a couple books. 1 John chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 3. So this is the primary text that I'm working with to define what is underneath our fellowship, what supports it, what makes it possible. I think John does a marvelous job of articulating this. So 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 3. 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That is magnificent. Do you see what I see in that text? Notice a couple things. First, the way John is using the word fellowship fits perfectly with our definition, right? He's talking about a deep kind of intimate kind of partnership that is made possible by what? Something. Well, that's where we're getting here in the text. When he talks about fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, does he simply mean we have some of the same goals? And that's what makes this possible. We're all united together. Nope, there's something way more than that. It goes far deeper than that. Also, notice that in order for this kind of fellowship to happen... To take place, there is something that must happen first. So here's the grounds. Look again at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we could proclaim to you so that, there's the qualifier, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So there is something that the Apostle John has seen, there is something he has heard that must be communicated to his readers in order for them to experience this kind of fellowship. If they are going to experience this, if they're going to have it, if they're going to live this way, there's something they need to know. So what is it? What is the message that must be communicated? You have to kind of know how John talks. These words, light and It's so significant for him. So I'm saying that the message that's being communicated, what he talks about, is salvation in Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. In other words, the good news that must be communicated in order to have fellowship is the gospel. Well, that makes sense, right? In order to experience true Christian fellowship, as we have defined it, one must first be what? A Christian, saved. Okay, we're, we're, we're defining what we're talking about here, and I'm saying this is not just a generic throwaway term, but when we talk about fellowship as believers, we must first be believers. 
And I think that's exactly what John is getting at in this text. But it's more than just conversion that makes it possible. That's the foundational piece, right? That's the, that's the undergirding principle of this. But what else does he say here? It's also conduct and obedience. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, now we've already established previously that in the New Testament, this word walk denotes obedience, faithfulness. Okay, so John says, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So John is saying positively, if we walk in obedience, we have fellowship, participation, both with God and with one another. The implication then is that if we are not walking in the light, which is John's way of saying obediently following because you are a Christian, if that is not happening, then we cannot have this kind of fellowship. This is only made possible through conversion underneath and then the ongoing obedience of faith as we walk in the light as he is in the light. So yes, conversion is the grounds. It's the underneath. Obedience plays in there that we have fellowship now just think for a moment, relationally. Think about your relationships with people, friends, spouse, children, coworkers, this kind of thing. What is it? If you had to pick one thing and say, this is the thing that ruins everything else. What is the thing that causes strife? What is it that makes it so that people don't want to be together? Discord, disagreement, whatever other dis word you want to put in there. What is the main issue that separates and pries people apart? It is sin. It is sin. Sin in our actions, sin in our responses, sin that produces selfishness in our hearts. These are the things that ruin fellowship. So John is telling us the problem. The thing that would prevent you from coming together and experiencing all the love and the fellowship and the service and the camaraderie and everything that goes into fellowship, the thing that would prevent that from happening has been dealt with in Jesus. Okay? This is, what, this is, this is the foundation. It doesn't get any more foundational than this. That the main problem that would prevent believers from getting together, focusing on a common goal, having unity, working towards that together, that's been dealt with in the cross of Christ. Now that doesn't mean that there's no more sin. <laughs> right? We sin constantly. But the reminder here from John if we were to keep going in 1 John, what would we read? When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So I think the reason that John is weaving in the sacrifice of Christ in the conversation of fellowship with God and fellowship with one another is to remind us that the thing that makes this all possible is the sacrifice of Jesus. Boom, dealt with sin. So now all of the little annoyances, all of the disagreements, all of the differences, all the things that have the potential to ruin Christian fellowship, we can say, hold on, Christ has paid for that on the cross. 
I don't have to be subjected to this way of living. There is such freedom that comes as a result of the cross of Christ. And John is saying, you want to have this kind of fellowship? You want to actively participate in the body? Christ has made this possible through his own sacrifice. It's been taken care of. Jesus paid it all. And now we can live in the unity which Christ has purchased for us. This is also one of the reasons that we come to the Lord's table every week here at Grace. We come to the Lord's table not to get saved over and over and over again. When we talk about the confession of sin, when we come to the Lord's table, we are talking about getting right relationally with God and with others. So as the, as the elements are being passed, there's a lot of ways to do communion. Some people get up and they come up and take it and whatever, but the reason that we want you to stay where you are and have the elders distribute those things is so that you have focused, uninterrupted time to reflect upon your life, your sin, your failure. That's not it though, right? We don't stay there. And remember that God is faithful to take all of that sin, all of those things that would prevent you from getting into fellowship with other people and he removed them through the blood of the cross. It's so significant. There is so much significance bound up in what we do on Sunday mornings. The, the time in prayer is just so, so important. And I encourage you, don't waste that. Don't use those few moments to think about what you're going to do after church or what you left on at home or what's in front of you this coming week. Lay those things aside. Bring it to the cross. This is how God makes it possible for us to fellowship, both with him and with one another. You ever wonder why we wait till everyone has it in hand and we eat and drink together? It's to express publicly the unity that we have because of Jesus. When we all do that together, it is a clear and public demonstration that we have been changed by the blood of Christ and we have fellowship with one another. Everything about that time is significant. And I'm saying it has a lot to do with this issue of fellowship. So the ground of fellowship, the thing that makes this all possible is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. Without that, there'd be no real or genuine Christian fellowship. We'd all have just kind of this surface level, common interest kind of thing. Yuck, we don't want that. We want what God has designed for us. So Christian fellowship is an active, willing participation in the body of Christ made possible by the forgiveness of sins through the cross of Christ. With me so far? All right, let's move on. Number three. Let's look at the characteristics of Christian fellowship. So we've defined what it is, how it's possible, but what does this look like? Can you identify when there is genuine and true fellowship going on? Is there anything we can note about what happens among us that would allow you to say, that's it, that's genuine? Well, Christian fellowship, like Christian anything, should be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit. In other words, 
when we fellowship together, when we are participating together in the body life and the the service and the getting together, all these things, those times, those experiences should be marked by and shaped by and controlled by the work of the Holy Spirit, a work that is happening in each one of us individually, but then when we get thrown into the blender of fellowship, it all mixes together. And the overflow of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart expresses itself through the fruit of the Spirit. So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we are talking about the evidence that He's at work inside you. These are not grounds things. It's not like, well, if you act this way, then you're good. It's like God has saved you, the Spirit is in you, and out of that overflow comes what Paul says in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, primarily, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the kinds of things that we should be able to look at something that happens here at Grace and go, got it. I see that. Or I see a desire for that. Not saying this happens perfectly, but the characteristic of Christian fellowship is that the things that go on under that umbrella are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is active and working in our lives. And speaking of the Holy Spirit, we have to acknowledge that all of this is made possible by the enabling of the Holy Spirit by virtue of his ongoing work in our lives, right? None of us can just decide in our minds, well, I'm going I'm to work towards this in my own strength. That's folly, and you won't get anywhere with it. We need the work of the Holy Spirit doing things, motivating, animating, pursuing, and promoting all of this stuff so that we actually can make steps in progress towards this. So not only is the fruit of the Spirit a characteristic of Christian fellowship, an observable part of that, but it is also the work of the Spirit making it possible that's every bit as much a characteristic as the fruit. Follow me? So the, the Spirit working inside of us is what makes it possible for us to fellowship together. And if you're paying attention, you're probably getting a whiff of the Holy Spirit here, but what are you really getting a whiff of? Trinity. Smells good. All of it, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's just say how this works quickly. Jesus Christ makes true Christian fellowship possible. By the sacrifice of the cross. We already saw that. The Holy Spirit then is the one who motivates us, enables us, we could say, to participate in this kind of fellowship. And God the Father receives glory and honor when his people live in obedience. When they, according to 1 John, walk in the light. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Active in everything we do. Isn't that great? And it's no different here with Christian fellowship. So, now that we know what it is, how it's possible, what it should look like, let's spend the rest of our time discussing how we put these things into practice. You can see this in the last point. Number four, the expression of Christian fellowship. Now I think sometimes when we talk about this, fellowship, getting together, spending time together, it can seem kind of like a, an add-on. It's not really the, the basis, you know, we don't think. It's, it's just kind of something that 
Well, if I have time, I would, I would sprinkle some of that on top of the really important things. But I'm going to give myself to, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to be pursuing prayer and worship. And all those things are important. Like, don't, don't hear me say this is more important than that. These are all important. But that's kind of my point. They're all important. So fellowship should be in your mind and in your priority every bit as important as being in the Word. We don't prioritize these things and say, well, that's more important. But that's not really the common thought, is it? A lot of times in church life, especially with the busyness of schedules, work schedules, kids' schedules, sports schedules, everything, it's just like sometimes it's the last thing you want to do is get out of your house and go spend time with other people. You're peopled out. That happens, right? Don't lie to me. I know it happens. It happens to me. But we are called as believers to participate in this kind of activity. And you know what? The writer of Hebrews knew that Christians are prone to kind of slacking in this department. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, we are exhorted not to forsake getting together. Don't do that. Don't leave it alone. You need to continue being together, fellowshipping together, working together, serving together, living together, all those kinds of things. The Bible knows that this is not something we are naturally bent to, so we have instruction. So what does this look like for us? Right here. This is our context. We're all here. So what does this look like for us? Well, simply put, we should take advantage of the opportunities God gives us to be together. We should take advantage of the opportunities God gives us to be together. And I think a second thing along with that would be then when we are together, we ought to maximize those times. Maximize for what? Growth, encouragement, exhortation, confession of sin, encouragement, whatever. So take advantage of everything God has put in front of you and when you do that, maximize that time. Don't have the mentality that, well, I'm either going to sit here, I'm going to sit there, I might as well sit there because the pastor said we should. Maximize that time. Use it. Be intentional. This goes back to our definition. Willingly and actively participating. That's what God calls us to through his word. It's what he has made possible through Christ. So, rather than just convince you that you should be spending time with other Christians and laying a big fat guilt trip on you, uh, I'm just going to simply close by listing out three benefits of Christian fellowship. Three things that I hope encourage you to at least begin to think about what this looks like for you. Okay, so I'm not going to sit up here and say, well, there's this and there's that, and if you're not at everything the church offers, then you're a horrible Christian. That's not true. we got to be realistic, right? But I want to push you towards this. I want to push you towards greater faithfulness in this area because it's what God calls us to. It's what he has enabled through the sacrifice of Christ. We need to steward that well. So three things, three benefits, and we'll be done. Benefit number one. Fellowship is a means of perseverance. Fellowship is a means of perseverance. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
when we participate in the life of the church together, when we fellowship with one another, we are allowing other people access into our lives. Ooh, scary. When you get together with other people, when you, over time, allow those external kind of shields that we all develop to come down, you are giving other Christians who care about you access into your life. And that access translates into accountability. Because now people know what you're struggling with. They know where you need encouragement. They know where you need help. They're going to follow up with you and say, hey, how you doing? At least that's how it should be. <clears throat> so as we live together, as we fellowship with one another, we get to know each other to the degree that we can do what this text just told us to do. To be in each other's lives, to exhort one another, to spur one another on. And according to Hebrews chapter 3, these exhortations are the means with which God preserves your faith. Don't fall away, but exhort one another. So I'm saying that Christian fellowship is a means of preserving our faith. Benefit number two. Fellowship provides the context for believers to use the gifts and resources God has given them. Fellowship provides the context for believers to use the gifts and the resources that God has given to them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. How many people have received a gift? All of us, right? As each has received a gift. Not the special people, not the smart people, each, all. Okay? There's no exceptions to this. Use them to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In the next few weeks here at the church, there's a, a men's thing going on. There's a women's thing going on. This is not going to turn into an infomercial, but we have to apply it. And that's all I'm saying. And there are many people for both of these events who are working hard, who are giving of their time, their energy, their resources, the way God has gifted them to make sure that these events are not only enjoyable but spiritually edifying for you. And if we do not take advantage of those things, if we just say, oh, man, I've been working all day, had a long week, I just want to stay home, you are stealing an opportunity from someone else to use the way that God has gifted them. You ever thought about that? When we don't participate in the life of the church, you are robbing someone of an opportunity to use the gifts that God has given to them. And if you hear that and you feel guilted or coerced, that's on you. And you gotta figure out what that means for you. But I am telling you, God has given all of us gifts and Christian fellowship is one of the spheres in which we use those gifts so if no one takes advantage of that, what happens to the gift? Gifts are meant to be used. I just want to exhort us on this point. And this is me too. I, 
There are times, believe me, where I do not want to get up and do what has to be done or what should be done. But I just want to exhort us as a church, do not be selfish with your time. It's not yours. God has given us this thing called days and months and years. How are you using them? They're a gift. Steward it well for him. Don't be lazy with your time. Don't be selfish with your time. Consider how you can do what the Bible is calling us to do. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. How does that happen? It happens through Christian fellowship. Fellowship provides a context for believers to use the gifts and resources God has given them. Finally, benefit number three. Fellowship prepares us for eternity. Fellowship prepares us for eternity. Revelation chapter 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Talk about fellowship, right? And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eye, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Do you remember when we talked about the grounds of Christian fellowship from 1 John 1? We experience the forgiveness of our sins through Christ, and because of that, we're able to have fellowship with one another. That is a temporary reality. Because in the new heavens, in the new earth, there will be no sin, therefore no need for forgiveness. Tracking with me? So when we on earth now participate in fellowship together, it is marked by and made possible by contrition, the forgiveness of sins is what it is, but that is preparing us for a perfect fellowship, one where God comes down, dwells with his people, and I call this unmediated Meaning there is nothing between us and God anymore. He is coming down and will dwell with us. And you talk about fellowship. With God, with each other, no sin. What will that be? (laughs) But for now, to the degree that we participate in the fellowship with one another, made possible by the cross of Christ, we anticipate that fuller, more perfect fellowship that we will have in eternity on a renewed earth. So fellowship is not some kind of throwaway topping. It is not some sort of optional thing. It is magnificent in how God has designed his church to operate. So for us here, this last thing, we'll pray. Take advantage of, of what God has put in front of us as a church to encourage one another, to be there for one another, to spend time together. This doesn't mean you always have to open the Bible and study the word together. That should come out naturally. Work together, play together, spend time doing what you enjoy doing. It brings honor to the Lord. 
when his people dwell together in unity. So for us, I just exhort you in this coming year, let's give ourselves to this and pray that God, by the work of his Holy Spirit, would enable us to understand how significant this is and to live it out in the strength that he gives us. Let's pray. Father, for many of us, this is not our natural tendency. The the first thing we think about when we get up in the morning is not, who can I see today or who can I bless today? We, We do become very selfish with our time. So God, I pray that you would cleanse us of this kind of selfishness that we all have. Would you help us to understand that you have put us very intentionally into a body, the body of Christ, and this this local expression here is Grace Bible Church. I pray that you would encourage us to understand how this really is a benefit for us. this This is not labor, Lord. This should be a joy for us. And yet, because of our sin and because of the way that our hearts are drawn towards things they shouldn't be, Lord, it is often a burden, and it does feel like a duty for us. So I just pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would free us from that, that we wouldn't see this as um, just something that we kind of have to check off the list, but I pray that we would engage with each other's lives, we would hold each other accountable, we would spur one another on, all the more as we see the day approaching, as your word says. Keep us faithful to you, God, and I pray that you would do this work among us, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.